Hey listeners, Jonathan here. I'm dropping in on the back catalog of episodes to let you know about a very special workshop that I'm putting together in April for fans of Mindful Money. In this workshop, I'm going to be covering the path to financial independence, or what we used to call retirement. I want to show you how to create an income stream that rises to meet your rising cost of living and lasts the rest of your life. I want to show you how to build a simple, resilient portfolio that requires the least worry and effort. This is how I manage my own money. And I want to show you how to manage and adjust income through a life of rising costs and volatile market. And as per usual, we're going to bring uh, the focus back around to those things we know add to happiness and support well-being when you do finally reach financial independence. You can register at the link below, courses.mindful.money forward slash mindful dash retirement dash review dash workshop. Thanks. I hope to see you in class. How we see ourselves in our work is a noun, and that's different than the title we usually are labeled. So a lot of people would be caught off guard, and I'd have to kind of push in and ask them and tell them about it. it's a noun. And I'd say, do you ever feel like you don't belong or fit in? Can you tell me about a time when you're sort of breaking boundaries or silos? And if they had some answer around that, it would be leaning into the hybridity space because it's an intersection. And the primary research question that still exists today is, who are you at the intersections of your primary professional identities? So out of the landscape of identities we have in our work, because people could have 10, 20, 30 hats they wear. Do you think money takes up more life space than it should? On this show, we discuss with and share stories from artists, authors, entrepreneurs, and advisors about how they mindfully minimize the time and energy spent thinking about money. Join your host, Jonathan Dio, and learn how to put money in its place and get more out of life. Welcome back to the 19th episode of the Mindful Money Podcast. This season, we're dedicating our conversations to the first rung of the personal financial ladder, earning. On this episode of the Mindful Money Podcast, I'm chatting with Dr. Sarah Beth Burke. She is an expert on hybrid professional identities. She's a hybrid professional herself. She's the author of More Than My Title and a TEDx speaker. Her hybrid title is Creative Disruptor because she works at the intersection of artistry, research, education, and design. In a nutshell, she helps professionals better articulate their hybrid professional identities and the unique value that identity offers the world. Now, I wanted to interview Sarah Beth on the show because of an experience I had working with my wife, Kate, on her consulting website a few years ago. Now, I imagine lots of people struggle with this. She's awesome at so many different things, but her expertise lies like in the intersection of those things, not in the things themselves. So it's impossible to capture that in the language of a website. So this translates directly into her earning ability. So I'm really excited to have Dr. Sarah Beth Burke on the Mindful Money Podcast. Welcome. Thank you for having me, Jonathan. I can't wait to dive in with you. So Sarah Beth, where do you call home? I am in Denver, Colorado right now, about to move to Boulder, actually. I think I read in your bio at some point that you were a ski instructor. Is that right? Yes. Back in the day. What do you do after you graduate college? Go to the mountains, go ski. Yeah. Did you, and you grew up in Denver? So I've been in Colorado most of my life, grew up in the mountains and then left the state, traveled, did degrees and came back to Denver about 10 years ago. Okay. So can you tell us a little bit about your professional life before stumbling upon hybridity? Can I use that word hybridity as a topic? Yeah, that's perfect. Yes. Oh my gosh. So I'm one of those people that's had a multifaceted career. I have not stayed in one thing. I 
jump around. I look like I'm a zigzag career person. And a lot of that is because I've always had this duality of interests. I loved academia and I loved learning, but I also loved art. And how do you find a career that lets you be artistic, but also professional and pays well? And so I started at a state university. I think my first major was interior design. And then I quickly fell out of love with that and thought I would do computer science and then 10 other majors. And eventually I realized the artistic side of me was really hungry and it wasn't being fed and I couldn't just be an academic. And so I transferred to art school and I found this beautiful degree called visual and critical studies that let me do studio art making with all this like theory and critical review of the world. But when I graduated, I didn't know what to do. It was such a strange degree. It fed my soul, but it didn't have application in the job market. And eventually I went into the classroom and I taught. I got another master's. I worked in nonprofits. I kind of bounced around and I didn't know where I fit is kind of the bottom line. I didn't know myself and people are like, well, just do what you love and what's your passion and what are you good at, which is great career advice. But I felt like I never was fully showing up as all the different parts of myself in a job. I was compartmentalizing and being pigeonholed. So I decided to get my PhD to sort of unlock my potential and get the credential I thought I was missing. But when I got my PhD, I had a huge professional identity crisis. Like I just lost sense of who I was. And people would say, well, what do you want to do next? And why are you getting this degree? And I didn't have an answer. And it's shameful. It's it's really personal when you feel like you don't know how to answer the what do you do question. And what I actually did is turned this topic into my dissertation research. I started studying and interviewing and observing people about how are you more than your job title? Like, what does your job title really mean? Because my hope was if I could understand how other people figured it out, then I could solve this problem for myself. And eventually, the more people I talked to, the more I realized a job title is not a full like signifier of who they really are. There are so many identities beneath that that makes them good at what they do, and they just don't even realize that. And the quintessential unlock that helped me on this journey was realizing there can be an intersection between the different parts of them. So that's a little bit of my winding career path of how I went from art and design into research and now as this professional identity researcher as well as identity reframer and helping people realize their full potential of all their professional identities and the value that has in the workforce. So I think just using the word hybrid or riffing on the word hybrid, I think that when people think about hybrid today, they're thinking about the hybrid work environment. They're thinking about, you know, I work part-time at home and part-time in the office. So what is it you're talking about? A hybrid professional, I I don't think is that. So what what is it you're talking about? (laughs) Great question. So I started this research 10 years ago before this hybrid work world became so big with the pandemic. And it's been ironic and then also tricky because the language is similar. So if we open up our vision, like more of a macro view of hybrid work, I have three pillars that I believe the hybrid workforce entails. It's the who, the what, and the where. So the where is hybrid work. When work is both digital and in-person, remote, in-person, that combo, that's where work happens. When we talk about hybrid jobs, that's the what. When jobs get combined, so like a biz dev ops team has some hybridity in the skills and the way that department functions. But the who of hybrid is talent. It's when people's identities are blending. And what I mean by that, my definition of hybrid professional identity is when you have multiple hats 
and you work at the intersection of those different professional identities. You're actually integrating as opposed to just separating and being many things. So that's the key distinction is an intersection between your professional identities is the new identity you really have, a hybrid one. I think that opens up a whole other sort of can of worms when you talk about intersectionality today. Do you end up you know, trying to explain that around that? Can you topic? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. So in my dissertation work, it was inspired by race, class, and gender studies. I was doing all this coursework where you had to understand that. And I learned the term intersectionality, that a person is a combination of race, class, and gender. And in fact, our identity as a human is multidimensional. We have age and ability and geographic location. Like There are so many different parts of us. So I started to question, can you have intersectionality in your professional identity? And so when you meet someone who's a jack or Jane of all trades, or they say, I wear a lot of hats and I'm a polymath, I'm multi-talented, then my question is, who are you at the intersection of those different hats? And so intersectionality absolutely exists for some people in the workforce. This is not an all or nothing. Some people feel this is them. Other people are still just a jack of all trades. And other people are just an expert. Like there are a variety of types of identities. Yeah. I'm always a little afraid to ask this question of a researcher, but hey. s- since you're also a hybrid identity, I think it'll be okay. Can you tell us about the data? Like, what did you study? Did mm. you talk to employees, employers, the work environment? What is it and what kind of questions did you ask? Yeah, data question. This is hard hitting. So for the dissertation, I had to pick a narrow focus. So I was specifically in the field of education and people that were in teaching But the label of teacher is pretty loaded, right? A lot of people call themselves a teacher, but this person's a math teacher. This person's a science teacher. This person's the woodshop teacher. Like they're not teaching in the same way or the same content or the same style. And so I was like, hmm. So I did case studies for my dissertation and I used a very interesting methodology called artography. We can talk about that later if you want, but it was a lot of observation interviews And then recording that data, transcribing it, looking at themes that were emerging, a little bit of like a autoethnography and ethnographic approach. I took that information that helped me get the findings, which sort of sparked when I finished the dissertation, I knew I wanted to write a book, but I didn't feel ready. So then I did a lot of informal research after the dissertation, which was more casual conversations with people over coffee or over virtual networking, learning about how they saw themselves. And that's when it became a cross-sector participant sample. So people from all different industries, walks of life, ages, demographics, like it became very wide and the themes and patterns were still consistent. So questions I would ask people were things like, what do you call yourself? So they would usually tell me their job title. And then I'd ask, well, what is your professional identity? Because your identity is not your job title. Who we call how we see ourselves in our work is a noun and that's different than the title we usually are labeled. So a lot of people would be caught off guard and I'd have to kind of push in and ask them and tell them about it's a noun. And I'd say, do you ever feel like you don't belong or fit in? Can you tell me about a time when you're sort of breaking boundaries or silos? And if they had some answer around that, it would be leaning into the hybridity space because it's an intersection. And The primary research question that still exists today is, who are you at the intersections of your primary professional identities? So out of the landscape of identities we have in our work, because people could have 10, 20, 30 hats they wear, 
there's only two, three, or four that I call are your primary. The ones that light you up, you use the most. There's a high frequency of them. They are your greatest areas of expertise, bring you joy, and you want to be known for these. All the other identities might be nice-to-haves, not must-haves, or use sometimes, not all the time, or you do them because you have to. They're not your favorite. So those are secondary or tertiary. Helping people even establish a primary professional identity, knowing what that is for them, is a big deal. So those are some of my research questions and things I play with. So when you're, you've interviewed tons and tons of people, as a percentage, like how many folks do you think are, you know, true hybrid professionals? Wow. What's been interesting, some people have done polls on LinkedIn, either they've done it on their own and tagged me. And so I've watched results. And I'd say there's no easy way to answer this because it's self-reported data, first of all, and it's self-perceived. So in the moment, I can be a hybrid professional right now. And then 10 minutes from now, I might just be making art and I'm switching gears. But I'd say knowing that I can move in and out of being singularity, like one identity, and then back into hybridity, that already shows I have the competence of knowing my identity. So maybe it could be anywhere between a third of the population to 40, 50%. It kind of depends on how people are perceiving themselves. That's my rough estimate. Yeah. Are there like common markers, you know, somebody that says such and such, they're obviously a hybrid professional. What would be some of those common markers? Yeah, there's definitely indicators. And in my book, more than my title, there's a chapter where I talk about being an emerging hybrid professional versus being established. So at this stage where people are like uncomfortable in their career, they're like, I don't know where I fit. People don't get me. I don't know how to explain what I do. But I know there's more there that those are signs to me. They might be emerging into understanding there's hybridity, but they don't know how to talk or think about it yet. But some people think they are in hybridity and they're really you never find integration or an intersection. They're just in a, what I call multiplicity. They keep moving between the different hats. So signs and indicators I look for are things like someone who is a pattern recognizer. So they kind of see things that other people miss, and especially between unrelated topics or subjects. They tend to be a silo buster. People call them a rebel. Oftentimes innovators or people that are challenging the status quo because they're disrupting the normal way of doing things and they're interdisciplinary thinkers. Those are certain qualities and characteristics I tend to find in this hybrid professional identity. Yeah. So I think you touched on this, but I want to I pull on the thread a little bit more. How did you go from doing the research, having your own aha moment about your own hybrid identity to writing the book and starting what I think I could call a coaching business instead of like going back into academia? Yeah. It, it- <laughs> I'm still kind of shaking my head because I never expected to get here, right? Like this was not on the career path of Sarah Best's life of like, go to art school, teach for a bit, get a PhD and become a thought leader of hybrid professional identity. (laughs) So I love that I'm sort of living my own story. It is self-experienced, like autoethnographic research that's become very widely resonant. So When I was doing the dissertation, there was a lot of artwork that I was looking at, ironically, when I was seeing all the data. And the data, when you're at the stage that you've collected all this data, you get saturated. You just, you're like, what does it mean? And I flipped through this art book of surrealist paintings by Rene Magritte. And four of the paintings just resonated with me that these are the findings I'm hearing in the data. So that to me is already my hybridity, making meaning of words and language by looking at paintings. People don't do that. 
So I saw an image that Magritte had painted of a fish and a human combined. The painting is called The Collective Invention. And this fish human is laying on a beach like it's washed up on shore. And usually you would call that a mermaid because the bottom half is a fish and the top is a woman. But in this case, he reversed it. So the top was the fish and the bottom was the woman. And you were like confused. You're like, what the heck did he do? That's the strangest, ugliest, awful. Like, what is this? And I was like, but that's how I feel in my work. I'm a combination of two or more very different things. And I'm a whole new creature. And that creature defies language. So that was step one, having these paintings help me see findings and name them. And then I needed a break. So I took a year off before I started writing after I defended the dissertation. And I also didn't trust that I was ready to write in a voice that people could read. I was such an academic writer at that time. But slowly but surely, the conversations I had in talking to people about their identity gave me reassurance that I'm gaining more stories and I'm on to something. And then I got the courage to apply for a TED Talk because I felt ready to do that. And I got accepted. And so doing a TED Talk really helped me shrink down my idea into a nine-minute speech. And when you do that, you have to get tight and sharp and just clear. And so that's actually when the research switched into the singularity, multiplicity, hybridity framework, which is pretty much the ground of what I talk about. And then people start asking, well, when's the book coming out when you get the TEDx done? They're like, this is great. Where's the book? And I had already been working on a workbook because the tools were more important first. People would say, how did you figure this out for yourself? And so the teacher in me is like, I can show you. Let me make a handout and draw a Venn diagram. And if you've ever done a design process, you're testing a lot and you're iterating. And so I'd show people a worksheet and they'd do it and they'd go, but how did I get to this point or what comes next? I was like, oh, there's more pages. There's more steps. So I ended up making a 90-page workbook, and then I just, it's like that divine intervention came, and I knew I was ready to write the book, and it like had to come out of me. There was just this click. And so I wrote the book in less than six months and had it published, and that's kind of my story. Well, that's less, it took me seven years to write my book, but I'm, I'm very proud of getting yeah. it done. So even in seven years, but six months, amazing. I find the data really interesting. The fact that it's happening so rapidly at this point, and I want to go back to the opening and just ask, so what, why does it matter to the hybrid professional to be able to articulate this unique value proposition or, or their hybrid identity? Why, why is it important? There's a few factors. First, let's start on a societal level. So we are no longer in a binary world. We've already seen that with gender identity, people saying, I'm non-binary, I'm fluid. There's a spectrum of ways you can show up. That is also true in the workforce, but we're still stuck. We look at people as either an expert or a generalist. And if you're somewhere in between, you're a jack of all trades, and you're never clear about your value because you don't know how to express it. Also, the future of work and where the workforce is going, there's two factors happening. One is our career spans are ever-growing. It's no longer go to school, get a degree, work for 30 years, retire in your 60s. People have second and third and encore careers. They're, the transitions that happen are multiple, and people retire maybe in their 80s. Who knows? So with the increase of the career span, it means people have more opportunity to gain more professional identities and to change their identity and have multiple areas of expertise. And then also in the future of work is this idea that as more industries 
are being created, oftentimes they are integrating. So we've seen like fintech or ag tech, like different sectors converging. And in convergence means you need people that understand both and. So you need hybrid workers in new hybrid industries and product lines and so forth. So the value for people is, first of all, self-knowledge, self-awareness, that you are not your job title. And if you just use past job titles to define you, that shows lack of self-awareness. And you're not really talking about who you are. You're just using past labels. The other part is the personal branding and marketing, that if you are clear, so I'll use myself as an example. I haven't, I see myself as an artist and a researcher and designer and an educator. Those four are my primary professional identities. It took me a long time to realize all four of those are critical to my fulfillment in achieving my purpose and the highest work that I want to do in the world. When I let go of any of those, I don't feel complete. So those are so critical to me. And I acknowledge that. But then I was like, who am I when I'm four identities at the same time? It's that simultaneity. That's the hybrid version of me. And I needed to name it something. For some people, this matters. Other doesn't. That's a caveat. But for me, the name that emerged is creative disruptor. That when I'm truly in my highest functioning version of me, that is what I'm doing in the world. And it's a good thing. And because I created a label that maybe you've never heard of before or it doesn't fit the mold, the uniqueness is a strong part of the value, but also I get to define it. The way I describe why I am a creative disruptor and what that does for you or a client or an employer, that makes me make sense and shows the connection between all my past experience. I can say, when I was in the classroom, I was a creative disruptor because I did this. And when I did this project for this entrepreneurship program, I was a creative disruptor in this way. And so suddenly, my very diverse background has a connection point, which is my hybridity. So it's you being able to share your value with the world in a way where they understand you the way you want to be seen. And making sense is your competitive advantage. It helps your value become clear. So you're actually counseling that you go through this process and then say, I'm going to apply for a job. I use that creative disruptor. I use my new hybrid identity, like as my job title in my, you know, attempt to get a new job or my attempt to explain myself. And then that maybe piques an interest of the employer and says, what do you mean by this creative disruptor thing? And that opens up a conversation where I can show value. So that's kind of how that would work in the in practice. Yeah. Essentially, you did a really good job unpacking that naturally. There is a research rationale and there's a hybrid elevator pitch I teach people. But what you're doing is, first of all, novelty. You're naming something that's unnamed. You're like, I don't know who I am, this intersectional thing. Let me name it. And you name it with authenticity. It's not random. And so a gentleman I worked with, he was, I think he had a PhD in philosophy and he was a researcher, but also a project manager. And he didn't feel seen or understood in his work. And he went for an interview and he worked with me. And he's like, actually, I realized who I am. I'm a tension methodologist. I'm always balancing and managing how do we sort, you know, who's doing what in the project and the timeline. And so we, when he went into his job interview and they asked that perfect question, tell us about yourself. Instead of him saying, well, I just worked as a project manager and doing that typical story, he said, well, you know, I see myself as a tension methodologist. Because when I'm doing project management, these other things that I do, this and this and this happens. And he said the response and reaction that he got from the interview team was like, oh, 
my God, we need attention methodologists. Like you just named the thing we didn't know we needed, but that's like it. So when you can clarify yourself that way, it helps people connect with you. Yeah, that's kind of the bottom line here. So can you, we may not have time to go through the whole process, but can you begin us, start us through this process? You know, if it's too much, just maybe a couple steps, you know, how do I articulate my hybrid identity or how do I begin to understand my hybrid identity? Yeah, I'll kind of walk you through the workbook. So there's the book and then the workbook complements the action steps. How do I do this for myself? And I have courses on that too, but there's roughly five steps. The first step is sort of a baseline, like who are you right now? How do you see yourself? Talk about yourself. The second step is professional identity decoding or unpacking. We lay the landscape of all the professional identities you have and really making it expansive and getting you aware of like, wow, I didn't even realize all this. Then we move into the intersections and we investigate, well, if you have multiple professional identities, is there a connection? If so, how? And who are you in that intersection? That's the messiest part of the process because it's mind-blowing. People's brains have never tried to interpret this about themselves before. Then we go into hybridization. Interesting language will emerge out of the intersectional reflection and storytelling And we go, what do we do with these cool keywords like tension and methodologist and, you know, divine navigator, like really interesting words show up that are new identity words about you. And we start to form them into a title like creative disruptor. And the last step is owning it. It's testing it both for yourself. Like, can I call myself a creative disruptor? That's so weird. I don't know. I don't like it's a self-esteem, self-confidence thing, but also starting to test it with friends and family and then coworkers and putting into the world. So I take people from who they are now and how they see themselves to owning themselves, renaming and reframing who they truly are, and then helping them explain the value in sort of a pitch. I'm, I'm ima- you have to have some kind of a tool. I'm just imagining a, a normal person. There's no such thing as a normal person. But I'm just imagining somebody, you're asking somebody, so tell me about <laughs> all of your multiplicity of work identities. Let's not get into the hybridization just yet, but let's talk about all the different I don't know that I could list them all. Like you must have some kind of a tool that helps me, you know, circle this, circle that, you know, a list of things or something like that that helps people do that. Cause I would invent it. Like I would invent stuff. Like, Jonathan, you're cheating. <laughs> yes, I do. I have a whole freebie section on my website and probably one of my most popular downloads. The second most popular is the professional identity word list where I generated about 150 yeah. words to kickstart people into thinking, what are my professional identities? But you're also kind of cueing the dial. I have a really exciting product coming out, hopefully in two months, which is a deck of cards. And they are going to have identity words on them. And there's three games I'm expecting people can do with these. And one is a identity word sort, like which identity words connect with you to help people start playing with new language. Yeah. Wow. So by the way, you should send us that link when you get that. And we'll try to share that again. What's the best advice you can give the hybrid professional to differentiate themselves. Once they've gone through this process and they're going to communicate with a potential client or maybe their boss for a raise or what have you, how do they use this information to really differentiate themselves from, you know, their peer group or competitors? Yeah. So the process I outlined the five steps a moment ago is something you can go through the steps and understand it intellectually pretty fast, but really embracing it and embodying it and like doing the reflection takes time. It probably takes people six months to a year is about the timing I see when it's really clicking and the results are starting to translate. So the easiest tool you can walk away right now is just saying, 
I work at the intersection of and then X, Y, and Z. Because helping use that cue of an intersection changes that you don't just do these many things. There's a space between them that you are in. It doesn't matter if you don't have a name for the space, but the intersection is the cue. I'm between these things. So that's a tool I see people using pretty simply on their LinkedIn and even in conversation. Like, yeah, I'm the strategist, but I work at the intersection of business and leadership and strengths finders or something. Yeah. When you think about employees over time, I'm thinking about my dad. My dad, you know, got a his degree, was in, I think, mechanical engineering, ended up being an electrical engineer, ended up, you know, getting an MBA and doing this, doing a bunch of stuff. And this is like 50 years ago, right? So was anybody talking about hybrid special, you know, a hybrid specialization or hybrid identity 50 years ago? Is there a history to this conversation? Oh, there's absolutely a history of its existence, but the language we've been missing, it's like the elephant in the room. People didn't know to call it an elephant. So I would argue going back to Leonardo da Vinci, he was a polymath. We've called him that quite often, but he was absolutely integrating architecture and engineering and the arts and all these parts into his ability to do and design what he did. Yeah. It's just, we didn't think to use the word hybrid And I think that's the fresh new energy I'm helping people accept and realize, first of all, this exists. Second of all, awareness. Oh my gosh, this might be the term about me I didn't know to use. And then third, how do I figure this out about myself? How do I put this into the world? Yeah. So can we talk about the benefit this would have for companies? Like let's say a company says, oh, this is really interesting research. How do we, you know, if we brought it into our teams, into our culture, What does it do to a company that actually embraces this? Yeah, there's a few facets on this. One is just the employee retention and engagement performance side. And then the other one, I think, is the business value, right? Like the ROI for a company. So from an employee side, if you don't feel seen, if you don't feel you belong, if you don't feel people understand you, if you don't feel like you can show up and perform with these different sides of you, you're going to leave. You're not going to be satisfied. So even from hiring, even all the way up to a job description, I've seen some really exemplary ones that say we're looking for a hybrid professional who works at the intersection of, you know, graphic design with coding and understands biology because we're a scientific company or something like they're very clear about the space between that they need someone to be in and that this position is converging and marrying those things together. So I'm hoping more job descriptions are clear about hybridity. Then in the interview, it's saying, hey, tell us about your professional identity as opposed to just tell us who you are. And even coaching and saying, do you think you're more in singularity or more in multiplicity or more in hybridity? And let us explain what we mean by those. Singularity is more stay in one lane, be more of a deep expert in something. Multiplicity is someone who likes to jump around and have a lot of projects on their plate, but those projects don't have to be connected in any way. And the hybrid is the silo buster. They're someone who loves to move in between teams because they speak both languages or understand complexity of topics. It's the interdisciplinary person. And so those are three different ways you want workers to be. And talking about that in an interview helps look for fit and match and the right person. And then I think when you're on a team and you're working with your manager, it's having identity conversations like, hey, Sarah Beth, are you able to show up as a hybrid? Like, which identities are you leaning into in this role? Do you need more or less? Can you talk about how this project is better because you use your hybridity? Like, what results did you see? So having those conversations. And then lastly, I'd say an identity retreat. So with companies, 
They ask, how do we help each other bond and build culture around different identities and not just the race, class, gender, like the DEI work, but their professional identity. And so I do work with them running workshops on how do you see Joe and how do you see Jane and how do we build understanding so we can perform better through an identity lens. So that would be the kind of the HR talent end. From a business ROI point of view, hybrid professionals can be at all levels of an organization. They can be at the C-suite. They can be in management. They are people who are the silo busters. So if you are taking someone who, quote unquote, is in multiplicity, and you're like, I need you to help you know, get the client-facing team working with the product team, and that person isn't able to integrate, they don't have that natural tendency, that person's going to suffer and underperform. So you need to find the hybrid person who can play both sides seamlessly and start to find efficiencies and just bring that value out. So the hybrid, I think, really helps bring connectivity and collaboration and more streamlining in ways of building process that just didn't exist. Just think about the the long history of the workforce and workforce development. There's been a lot of research in the last 15 years about the unhappiness of most employees and the disengagement of most employees. And at the same time, I think we can agree that the specificity of the tasks, it used to be that some guy would sit on a line and turn a bolt, right? Now it's like there's many, many, many things everyone has to deal with. So there's sort of a natural progression of more and more and more hybrid, more complexity, more hybridity. Yes. And I imagine this keeps going. So have you put this within the context of the changing work world and how do people looking yes. forward 10 years, going to college now, people are just starting to you know, launch and go to college. What should they be thinking about in terms of you know, developing this hybrid? That was a great question, a huge one. From a historical and future perspective on hybridity, it's a divergence hmm. and a convergence. So 10 years ago, we didn't know what a social media influencer was. But we saw people now, doing some marketing. We do. Now we know way too many. Everyone is <laughs> one, right? And we didn't even have a name. But we saw people doing marketing and storytelling and taking photos and doing all these things and putting it together. And we're like, okay, what do we call that person? And we didn't even know what to hire it, hire that person for or what title to give them. So that was the point where things that were initially divergent came to a point and converged into a hybrid thing, the social media influencer but now it's conversion, it's become mainstream, and so it's no longer as hybrid. It has more of the singularity again. So things come together and then can branch out again. Another example, when you mentioned the engineering, years ago, you know, you'd go to engineering school and be a chemical engineer or an electrical engineer. But today, there's a field called biogeochemical engineering. That's three in one. I don't even know how that works, but I know it exists. And so it's like, did you get three degrees? No, that's a whole new field that exists. So it's interesting how this happens over time. And an analogy to help with this is from horticulture. When they crossbreed two parent plants, they want to take, it's literally called hybridization. They're taking the best traits from the two parents to make an offspring that has this hybrid vigor. So they're becoming one plant. So we're doing that with our own professional identities. There's like a crossbreeding and hybridization going on. So into the future, I think it's just this cycle of things that are diverging and converging. Now you had one more part to this question, which was students in college. And what do we tell them today? I think there's some interesting things naturally happening. We still have the traditional, you know, choose a major, choose a minor, and they tend to be disciplinary focused, one discipline. 
But some universities have integrated majors or interdisciplinary degrees or design your own degree is even a choice. I do some consulting with MIT, Carnegie Mellon, and UPenn because they have the Integrated Design Management Program. That is a new degree for people that are designers, business majors, and engineers in one because they see an intersection that the future employers need. Now, there's still a little disconnect. Employers don't know they're looking for, it's called IDM majors. But when those students go out, they're more competitive because they understand three things combined. So when we're on these edges, it's hard for the marketplace to keep up, but yet that's they're on the leading edge. So that's my oh. advice on that. Yeah. And unfortunately, we're sort of running close to time here, but I have a couple sort of not zinger questions I like to ask here at the end, but I want to try to catch you in something. So yeah, we're nice. So what was the last <laughs> thing you changed your mind about? The last thing I changed my mind about... This is a really important question to ask academics. Motorcycles. <laughs> it happened just the other day. I didn't think I liked motorcycles. And I rode on the back of one last week and I was like, this is actually really fun. So now I'm maybe thinking more about motorcycles. Oh, wow. That's what I've heard. That's great. <laughs> Be, stay safe. Stay safe. Okay. <clears throat> is there anything that either people don't remember or don't know about you that you'd really like them to know? I mean, I think that people don't remember. I'm very creative. I think people forget that I still make art and I have an artistic practice and that's not something I share as much as maybe people realize. Well, why is that important that people know that? I think because it does substantiate there is a creative spirit. It's not just I talk about loving creativity. It is part of, it's part of me. Yeah. And when I don't do it, I feel like, oh, I need to get back to it. Very cool. We'll make sure everything is in the show notes. Share us that you know link when you have the link to the new course or product that's coming out. And I just want to say thank you for being on the Mindful Money Podcast. I very much appreciated the conversation and I believe our audience will benefit from it. I've thoroughly enjoyed this and I hope people can come to morethanmytitle.com. There's a lot of great stuff there. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned are available at mindful.money. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash mindful money. We'll be sure to read those out on future episodes.